Today's episode is a subject that everybody needs, regardless of how you're getting pregnant, whether you're getting pregnant with a gestational carrier or you're carrying the pregnancy yourself. We need to think about pregnancy. We need to think about how to support the pregnancy, nutrition, supplements, acupuncture, all of it. And today we're going to talk about it. I really squeezed in everything I possibly could to help you through the pregnancy, support the pregnancy, through delivery. There's just so much to know and so many things that I've never even thought about. And today, Amy Raup is our guest and she's going to tell us all about these things. So pull up a chair and get your pad of paper and your pen because this episode is jam-packed full of information. Welcome to Donor Conception Conversations. This is the one podcast created exclusively for people who are planning to use donor conception to build their family or for people who have already built their family with donor conception. I'm your host. My name is Lisa Schumann. I'm a researcher, a therapist, and an expert in donor conception. And over my more than two decades of experience working both in fertility clinics and in my private practice, the Center for Family Building, I've met with thousands of donor-conceived individuals, children, recipients, and donors. And I've learned so much, and I'm here to teach you all that I've learned in this podcast. My guests and I will talk about everything that you need to know to have a better journey to parenthood. If it's about donor conception, we're going to talk about it. And on today's episode, we have a special guest. Her name is Amy Rapp. She is a nutritionist and an acupuncturist and a coach and many other things. As you will see, she's a multi-talented woman. And she's going to talk about something that we really haven't spoken much about on this podcast and is really helpful for everyone to know. And that is how are you going to have a healthy pregnancy? We know that donor conception will give you the best chance of pregnancy possible, and so you're already on the best road possible, but how do you maintain that pregnancy in a way that's going to be helpful to you and your child, and how do you prepare for that pregnancy? And so that's really good information for everybody out there to have, and Amy will share with us today. She will share her years of expertise and give us some really great insights. So welcome, Amy. So glad to to have you. Thank you so much, Lisa. And thank you for having me. And thank you for, for doing this work. I think it's it's such important work for everyone out there going, going the donor route. So I just really appreciate it. And I appreciate you having me on. Our pleasure. So tell us a, a little bit about maybe about yourself and about what you do to help people plan their pregnancy and how you help them through their pregnancy. Yeah, so I've been in clinical practice now for two decades as an acupuncturist and herbalist, doing nutrition, functional medicine work, and all sorts of coaching for women on their path to pregnancy and parenthood. You know, one of my favorite thoughts, especially I think as it applies to this community, is that one part of the concession process, obviously where we're using the donor, the donor process here is the egg and the sperm. But another really important piece to this process is, is the vessel in which you're going to grow that child. For me, that, that work is just as important because the internal uterine environment, the internal cellular health of the carrier is, is just as important and influences that baby's health and also your health for and your recovery after pregnancy. 
So I focus a lot on, of course, nutrition, of, of course, lifestyle, mental health. Um, I obviously love acupuncture for improving circulation and blood flow, and that really helps the, the uterus do its job. But we're all about in Chinese medicine, what we call preparing the palace, which hmm. or the Chinese translation for the word uterus is palace, and it's considered the hmm. child's palace. And so regardless of donor or not, the, the palace is so important to the health of that child. And so I think that's the, the focus of today's conversation of how we can keep that palace or your uterine environment as healthy as possible so that your child can grow and thrive and you can bring home, you know, healthy, healthy mom, healthy baby. That's always my goal. That's fascinating, Amy. That's fascinating. So how do you advise people to get started? They're saying, you know, here I am, I've chosen donor conception, or I'm even using a sperm donor. I've got to think for myself or my gestational carrier. Yeah. How do we prepare for the pregnancy? I mean, I prepare for the pregnancy very similar to how, you know, I'm looking at optimizing health across the board for, for anyone I'm working with. So I want to make sure that nutritionally, right, we're able to absorb all of our nutrition, that we're hitting our marks, right, where, you know, we know in pregnancy, it's really important for a woman to get good amounts of protein, they, they seem to be, you know, protein intake seems to be correlated with less likelihood of preeclampsia, right, and, and healthier pregnancies, and mm -hmm. terms. So I'm always looking at advising on upwards of 80 to 100 grams of protein a day, six to eight servings of vegetables, good quality fats. We know the fats are so critical for baby's brain development, right? And so that's a huge focus. And another focus that I I really take seriously, and I think every every person out there should, is the influence of environmental toxins and endocrine disrupting chemicals that we know can impact baby's health and development in utero as well. So going non-toxic with our lifestyle is another huge thing that we can do to support this pregnancy and support healthy baby coming home. Mm -hmm. The right supplements, of course, which we can get into if you want like the basic high level supplements that I think can support a healthy pregnancy. And also, you know, I'm always thinking too healthy postpartum as well, because we, mm -hmm. we really want you to have all the energy you need to manage a, a newborn, right? You know, regardless. Absolutely. So can we start at the beginning? Because yeah. I, I don't think everyone here knows what is a healthy fat look like? What, is, what does that mean? You're saying it's so important for baby's develop, brain development. What does that mean? Think avocado, think nuts, think seeds, think olive oil, avocado oil, coconut oil, ghee, butter, good quality butter. If you can digest dairy, that's great. So those are really my like favorite good quality fats. And I want to aim for, you know, the equivalent of like half of an avocado a day and a few teaspoons of nuts and seeds a day. That would really give us good right. plenty fat. I like, again, cooking with the good quality fats too. We know well, research shows us too that eating our vegetables that are cooked in good quality fats, we tend to get more out of them. I think the the fat helps us hmm. improve the digestion. Great. Another thing that I'll focus on a lot with from from a baby's brain development perspective, and also to regulate inflammation in in the the woman's body carrying the pregnancy is enough fish oil. So you could eat salmon on a regular basis. That's great. Good quality fish, wild caught fish, but also taking a good quality fish oil supplement that gives you upwards of 1,000 to 2,000 total between the EPA and DHA. 
is another great way to, again, amplify the, the fat intake and the benefits of those healthy essential fatty acids for you and for baby. So if someone were to say, okay, I'm, I can eat salmon, for example, I'm, I'm assuming you're, you would say that maybe things like tuna or that have things that have high mercury yeah. might not be as good, right? Yeah. And with tuna, you want to check too of like the, the smaller the fish, the better. So not all tuna is high mercury. You go with the skipjack and the, the low mercury tunas, which there's great companies out there. Wild Planet's one of my favorites. They test, oh. they only use the small tuna. Um, but still, I would still put it at like one can of tuna a week, right? And then as much salmon as you want in a week, cod. There's a great website. It's run through Monterey Bay Aquarium. It's called Seafood Watch. And so wherever you live, you can go and you can see the seafood in your area that is, and it's all tested, like they test for mercury and other toxins. So you can see, oh, in my area, I could do actually farm-raised cod because it's been tested and it's shown. So it doesn't always have to be wild caught. And the information around fish is always changing because obviously our seas are always changing and, and pollutants and things of that nature. So I love to to direct people to the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch site. And that way you can, it's like a PDF that you can download. You can put it in your, you know, or take a picture of it in your phone and then go to Whole Foods or wherever you're going to go and buy your fish and, you know, find the best fish in your area. And you want to aim for about like eight to 10 servings of fish a week is my recommendation. Wow. That's a lot. And why do you say that it's better to have wild rather than farm raised? Well, it depends. It's like, how are they raising them? With what nutrition are they giving them? How much are they mimicking what's happening in their natural environment? Are they testing the water? What kind of food are they giving them? Are they... So there's all sorts of layers to that conversation, but there are really good farm-raised fish out there. So I think some people blanketly state, you can only have wild, and that's not actually true. And sometimes wild can be worse for us because of the waters that those fish are swimming in versus the more controlled environment of the farm. So it really does depend, and it's something that it's like impossible to keep up with. So I just always go to Seafood Watch and then check it out that way. Oh, great. That's great advice. So you suggest the fish, you suggest the fish oil or mm -hmm. the um, salmon and then the nuts. And then you also mentioned to try to take the toxins out of your life. Can yeah. you give us some ideas about of just a few tips about how to do that? Yeah. So things I would start with, the things that are the most studied, right, that we know that are impacting in utero environment, plastics. So even the BPA-free, like the BPS, it's still... Uh, questionable, mm. I would do your best to avoid plastics. So that means plastic water bottles. I would just go buy yourself a nice like stainless steel carafe, have some filtered water at home. If you're going to buy water out, try to get it in glass bottles, which isn't always easy. And and I always, I should, first, we should start the conversation with perfection does not equal like the best success here. You know, this isn't, I want us to be human and have a human experience and still enjoy this pregnancy and know that, you know, you're doing your best and that baby's getting everything baby needs. But if we could shoot for this 80% of the time, even 70% of the time, we can we can have a stronger impact because we, we do see in the research that plastics, parabens, and I think fragrance, those are kind of the three biggest ones that are impacting the health overall of, of the child in utero and potential outcomes on the other side of like, is there a higher risk of autoimmunity or immune system challenges, things of that nature. And so I would start to pay attention to bath and beauty products. So one thing I point out is like the things you do every day, frequency and consistency is really what's going to move the needle. So 
I always give the example, like if I had a speaking engagement and I was getting my hair and makeup done, I'm not going to pay attention. I don't really care. Like just do whatever you're going to do to me and it's going to be fine. But my daily exposure, so my deodorant, my toothpaste, my shampoo, my makeup, I try to go as clean and as non-toxic as possible. And there's tons of great brands out there now. I actually have what we call my Amy approved list and I have them. We can actually share them with the audience. I'll, I'll give you links. Great. Uh, we can share them in the show notes because uh, we've taken the guesswork out of you. But there's lots of great brands out there now that take the the guesswork out of it for you and are avoiding the, there's 12 toxins that you know we could kind of get into. But I think parabens are a big one. The phthalates are another thing to look at. Fragrance is another thing to look at. Hmm. And so trying to just make the shift of things that you're using in your home or on your body on a daily basis. And then to also think about that on the other side when baby is here. What kind of mattress are you going to put in the crib? What, you know, what kind of rug that's emitting VOCs? And it can get pretty hairy, if you will, but just trying to make more conscious choices and thinking about the overall toxin exposure is a, is a very important decision. So with a mattress, a baby mattress, it didn't even occur to me that that would be yeah, uh, an issue. Yeah. You worked hard to get here and this has been, uh, I'm sure challenges along the way. And so, you know, thinking about like, okay, now, you know, want to bring baby into this healthy home so I can give them the best outcomes for, for their future. And we just do see high correlations between these environmental toxins and, and autoimmunity in particular. I wrote an entire book about it. It's all about autoimmune diseases and, and it's called body belief. And yeah. it's since the 1980s, we've introduced over a hundred chemicals to our environment. And that same time frame, the eighties, the incidence of autoimmunity has quadrupled affecting women, 75% wow. more than men. And so it's just, there's a lot that we're exposed to on a daily basis. And someone asked me recently too, like, what do I think is the lowest hanging fruit that would move the needle the most when it, when it comes to healthy pregnancy and, and healthy lifestyle for your child? And I do think it's, it's managing the environmental toxins. And I also think that that plays a role with organic foods and, you know, the choices we're making there too, because we, we also know that glyphosate, you know, has, which is our most sprayed pesticide has a lot of impact as well on the immune system and the health of the pregnancy and baby. So you would recommend, I guess, that there's a, like a certain amount of fruits and vegetables along with that? Yeah. Fruits and vegetables. I like to see six to eight servings a day, which is not easy, especially in early pregnancy when you don't feel so good. So there's, there's sneaky ways, I say, to get it in. You know, you could make a smoothie. You could get one of those like superfood greens powders. You know, there's some great brands out there now. Look for organic and they're usually mixed with fruit and vegetables all in there. Like a scoop of that is usually about three servings of vegetables a day. Oh. But I, I think when you look at your plate every day, you should think about where's where's my protein? So we want like about a, a hand the size of your palm. That's about three ounces. We want about three ounces of protein. Ideally, a good quality protein. If it's meat, if it's grass fed, it's organic, if it's fish, you know, we've kind of covered that already. Then the bulk of the plate should be the veg, right? I want like almost two thirds of that plate to be veg and then some fat. And of course, one to two servings of fruit. I think we, we watch the high sugar fruits, especially later in pregnancy, especially, you know, depending on, I think, the woman's age and more predisposition towards preeclampsia or any gestational diabetes, anything like that. So then we would kind of manage the high sugar fruits, but I definitely think fruits, apples, pears, berries play a really great role in your everyday. And they're also loaded with antioxidants. Our antioxidants are what's going to fight off any of those inflammatory 
systemic issues that are going on inside the body that that could lead to poor outcome. That's great. That's great. I hope everybody's listening and taking notes because this is <laughs> terrific advice, terrific advice. And what do you do? You mentioned earlier, and I've had this, and I'm sure you have too, where you know people say to me, Lisa, I can't even barely get a cracker down my throat. How am I going to do all this? So one thing that will really, you know, convey to our clients is that in the first six to eight weeks of pregnancy until that placenta is completely formed, baby is living off of the reserves in your body prior to getting pregnant. So that's where the preconception, even if you're going the donor route, you know, either way is still important. So you're preparing for pregnancy. So considering, you know, if you're heading into a transfer that, you know, maybe one to two months prior, you're really focusing on what we're talking about, you know, getting that 80 grams of protein, six to eight servings of vegetables, doing the best you can to really prepare for that pregnancy. Then once you're pregnant, that's when, okay, you focus on calories more than anything else. And I would get sneaky, you know, similar to how we have to do with toddlers. we got to sneak veggies into their life. So make a smoothie. Mm -hmm. I have like a sneaky mac and cheese recipe where I steam like zucchini. I do it still with my, my little one, zucchini and sweet potato. And I puree it. I still use the Biaba food maker, you know, and that I got when I was pregnant. And puree and mix it into the mac and cheese, crack an egg in there. So like there's anytime you would just want pasta, crack an egg in there and, and heat it up, you know, obviously fully cooked eggs, please. When you're pregnant, you can add in like a good quality fat. You can add in real cheese instead of the powdered cheese and just try to like pack in your nutrients that way. But usually the first trimester is a bit of a wash diet wise. We do our best. Some days are going to be better than others. And I would yeah. just still focus on like, am I getting protein in with this meal? You know, I love like sneaking it in even with like, I like the collagen peptides or there's like bone broth protein powders. I'll add that to like smoothies or, you know, I have pregnant women all the time where I'm like, okay, they're like, I can just get tea down. I'm like, okay, so add some of the collagen peptides. This gives you 10 grams of protein in that cup of tea dissolves. It's tasteless. And so I think there's ways around it. And then once we hit the second trimester, I feel like we can really get into our groove and then carry it through for the rest of the pregnancy. Because people worry about that, right? Because this first trimester is so important for brain development, as you said, and for everything else, right? This is the beginning. And so people worry, oh my God, this is the time where I feel the worst. Yeah. And this is the time that's the most important to the pregnancy. How am I going to do that? So how do people not worry and get so stressed out about that? Well, I think at the minimum, still try to still get in your prenatal with a good quality, um, you know, I prefer methylfolate over folic acid and fish oil. Like if those can be the two things that you make sure you get in every day. Okay, that's great. And then, you know, every day I think is different, you know, in a first trimester and what's going to sound more appealing than not. But, you know, listen to your cravings, of course. And then the same thing of like, maybe there's like a, a non-negotiable smoothie that happens every day. And in that smoothie, you're getting in like a scoop of that greens powder, a scoop of that protein powder, uh, you know, an avocado, you know, and then typically in pregnancy, first trimester, at least what I see, I mean, I feel like I've been doing it a long time. Um, women love guacamole. So that's a good quick way to get in the healthy mm -hmm. fats, you know, guacamole okay. and chips is like the only thing you want to eat, you know? So, okay, do that. That's great. Good tip. Like toast with almond butter and a banana and some honey is like delicious to a first trimester. And so think about that. We're getting a, a fruit in there. We're getting good protein in there. You know, choose, I would you know, recommend choosing more organic breads than non because of the glyphosate bread wheat in this country is sprayed two times with with Roundup, which is just mm -hmm. oh. So like Ezekiel bread, you would say like Ezekiel 
Yeah, Ezekiel's great. The sprouted bread, I love a good sourdough. You know, there's like so many great options. The Dave's Killer Bread, I love. Those are all organic white breads. They have bagels and English muffins and things like that. So it tends to be like a carb heavier time in that first trimester. I would also, like I said, if making pasta, it's a, such a great sneak. It's just crack an egg or two, like cook the pasta, put it back in like the saucepan, crack a raw egg or two, put the, the heat back on, swirl it around until the egg's fully cooked, add a little butter. There's like an Italian name for that dish, you know, where you do the egg with the pasta, oh. I can't remember, but carbonara, that's what it is. It's a carbonara. Mm-hmm. But that's another way. Then you, two, two eggs, that's 14 grams of protein right there. Then go have your pasta, some Parmesan cheese. There's ways to do it and it requires a little more thought. But I also would say, you know, going back to the very beginning of this, this part of the conversation is babies living off of what was in your body prior to getting pregnant. So really think about that preconception lead up. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, again, in, in, in a donor situation, we we know when we're going in for a transfer, say, you know, so we have some time to plan around that. Or if we're doing donor sperm in an IUI, I think we still have some time to plan for that, right? So in mm-hmm. the lead up to, to really think about that. And that's where that, that preconception and, and for you to think, you know, I'm just preparing the vessel, I'm preparing the vessel so that if it is a rough first trimester, my body has everything it needs and baby's going to get everything it needs. That's fantastic. And what about, you mentioned acupuncture and where do you see that fitting in this process? So I love, again, in the space of, of you know, supporting conception and pregnancy, I really love, first, there's some research, if you are doing IVF, pre and post acupuncture before and after transfer, the the research varied, but I think a couple of the papers were pretty consistent showing almost a 40% higher success rate in women who did acupuncture in the lead up to IVF. That's why all- And everyone's going to have a transfer here, so- Yeah, exactly. That's why everyone loves us. Everyone loves acupuncture for that reason, those research studies. There's even more research now out that shows consistent acupuncture one to two months in the lead up to transfer is actually even more beneficial. But I like it too. Once my girls get that BFP and we're we're pregnant, I like acupuncture once a week through the first trimester. It also, it's helpful for circulation and blood flow, which we know the uterus needs healthy blood flow to hold that pregnancy, right? I mean, this is kind of basics for us over here. It also calms the nervous system. You know, you have another partner in your, you know, on, on your team, if you will. But it can also really help with morning sickness too, because acupuncture also oh. there's some cool research showing how it regulates blood sugar. A lot of morning sickness is a blood sugar issue. So it's like a catch-22. You don't want to eat, but eating protein is actually going to keep your blood sugar more stable and help with that morning sickness. Mm. Another thing that I didn't mention that is important is magnesium. Magnesium in the oh. lead up to pregnancy and then in that first trimester. So somewhere around three to 500 milligrams a day of a good magnesium, magnesium glycinate, or I like the transdermal magnesiums, like the ones that you spray on, if you don't have to hmm. digest those. That can also really help with uh, managing blood sugar, which will help with morning sickness as well. So acupuncture through the first trimester, I like once a week. Then I kind of graduate my girls and come in once a month through till the end, till about 35 weeks, and then weekly again to prepare for labor and delivery. That's great. Hi, it's Lisa Schumann. Just popping into your episode to remind you that familybuilding.net is our website and we are the one-stop resource for everything that you need to build and take care of your family. We have videos, we have individual counseling, and we have group counseling. So no matter what you need on your family building journey, we are here for you to support you all along the way. This is a difficult decision to make. These are difficult processes to go through and we are here to help you 
not make mistakes, and have the best journey possible. So please feel free to reach out to us seven days a week. We are here for you. Now, uh, here's where a lot of people will get caught. They get nervous because there's so much acupuncture. You need to have someone who's licensed like you doing it correctly. But there's so many times where people get nervous and they think, well, if I use the acupuncture and maybe at the clinic, they'll say, okay, I recommend during the transfer. What if it activates something that causes me to lose a pregnancy or disrupts a pregnancy in some way? How do I know that I'm getting the right type of acupuncture? One thing I always say is I think it's really hard to create a miscarriage with acupuncture. It's just having done it for so long. And I've also had cases where, yeah, it just didn't seem to play a role in, in that situation. But I think the most important thing for you as the patient is to feel trust with your practitioner. If you just went in pre and post, you don't have a relationship with this person. And now they're saying come in every week. I could see that's a little ah, like, you know what I mean? I, I don't of this established relationship. So I I do think like, yes, obviously only see a licensed acupuncturist, please. Someone with either a master's level or there are doctoral level now, but even better, if you can get a referral from someone, you know, that has gone through something similar with them, or at least has built that trust. And any of us that treat in pregnancy, first of all, like in our liability insurance, our malpractice insurance, we have to certify that we've taken continuing education courses around treating pregnant women. And these courses are taught by nurse practitioner midwives, you know, people that also have incorporated acupuncture, but there's very clear contraindicated points for pregnancy. And so you do want to know that someone has treated pregnancy before and feels mm-hmm. really confident and has done the continuing education in it. So like if they're talking to you like I am and they're talking to you about nutrition and they're talking to you about supplements and, and they also really understand the process that you've just gone through to get to baby, I think then then they're probably safe practitioners for you to get acupuncture with. But I also you will say, I think men- the mental emotional piece is so important. And if it feels scary to you and you're worried, then don't go every week. It's okay. I don't think it's going to make or break a pregnancy, but I think it can help support your pregnancy. Do what feels good to you too. And But I know you're here and, and obviously you want to do anything to get to that healthy baby in your arms, right? And so, you know, interview a few practices and, and see who feels right and, and, and talk to people, ask questions, you know, like I said, get referrals, make sure they've done the continuing ed and just so that you can feel safe. So there are people who do acupuncture who don't specialize in this area. So it's really best to have somebody who specializes in this area. Yeah. And I think that's just like a simple question. You go to the practice, like, do you support women going through IVF? Do you support women who have done donor conception? Do you support women through their pregnancy? You know, have you done continuing education in that? And that's why even better of like, chances are, you know, you're listening to podcasts like this, you might be in other groups, you know, where we're talking about donor or things of that nature. Ask, just ask. Who has a good acupuncturist in this area? Everybody has one, you know, these days. And so get referrals. I think that's the best way to to kind of already go in trusting. That's terrific. So do you use the kind of traditional acupuncture? Do you put those things on your ears? I'm a traditional Chinese medicine practitioner. So, but we use auricular acupuncture and we can do the ear seeds, you know, and I'll also do like seeds on the body at the end. I actually have a whole pregnancy and new mama guide that I'd be so happy to share with the whole community, which you can put in the, in the notes. And I have, 
there's an acupressure guide in there to help prepare for labor and delivery. And then there's certain points that you can do acupressure on yourself. But if someone comes into the clinic, they're 35 plus weeks, I'm sending them home with seeds on those points and, and they can massage them themselves. Or if they're in a partnership, the partner can massage them. And that's really right. helping cervical ripening. And, and really, again, acupuncture is so brilliant. I think the the most researched thing we know about acupuncture is it's really good at calming the nervous system. And so for anyone that's having some anxiety or just wants to feel calmer because they know that that's going to help baby, you know, then then it's a great modality to to add to the protocol. I didn't realize that you could use it for to support your delivery. How does that work? Yeah, there's labor induction points. I mean, that's why there's contraindicated points in early pregnancy, right? Because we do not want to do like spleen six is a popular acupuncture point. We are not doing that you know, once you get a positive pregnancy test, because that can cause uterine contractions. So, but at the end of pregnancy, you know, 35 plus weeks where we, you know, obviously there's lots of questions I'll have about, you know, if you're dilated or not, or if you've had a previous pregnancy and like, well, how did that go? C-section, no C-section, all these things, you know, we'd ask a lot of questions. And that's the other thing too, I think how you would know about the right practitioner. They should have a lot of questions about Mm. your pregnancy and all these things. But yeah, there are specific points for labor induction. And a lot of nurse practitioner midwives and any doula, anything like that, they all have taken this course on acupressure on how to facilitate labor induction. And I actually have the pamphlet in my new mama guide too, that was put together by a very well-known nurse practitioner midwife who actually is the one who taught me about treating um, using acupuncture. That's fantastic. So you can use the acupuncture. And so if someone said, what's the benefit? So I want to, I want to plan that with an acupuncturist or with a doula or somebody for myself, for my gestational carrier, how do you go about doing that? What does that look like? Do they start during, you know, in the hospital? Do they start before? They start before. So around like 35 weeks is what I recommend coming back in for weekly. And I have a lot of gestational carriers and I just help them find like that all support with any of my girls going through the process. We find them acupuncturists. I kind of interview them for them and then we kind of get them set up Mm -hmm. with a protocol. But yeah, around 35 weeks and then you're going weekly and they're using points to help. Like the first goal is cervical ripening. Obviously we need the cervix ripen, ready to open, then to start inducing labor, right? Some girls will come to us and they're like, I would like to have this baby next week. And I'm like, that's not really how it works. (laughs) (laughs) Schedule a C-section then. That's not my my expertise, but we'll recommend certain supplements to help with cervical ripening and certain like, you know, lifestyle, like eating dates, which actually does help. Eating primrose oil can help with cervical ripening. There's perineal massages. There's all sorts of things that you could be doing. And then the acupuncture is a nice added benefit. And then depending on the hospital, you know, the acupuncturist would have to, or the hospital has to allow the acupuncturist to have rights. Or if there's a nurse practitioner midwife who does acupuncture or acupressure, that might be your best bet, but you can definitely, I've definitely, I've been at labors before um, in, in certain hospitals in New York, they've allowed me to go in and do acupuncture on my patients during labor, which is pretty cool. Wow. And yeah. And does it help with the pain? Yeah, it'll help relieve pain. It'll help with um, efficiency of contractions, again, cervical ripening. And then there's also, if the baby's breached, there's like classic acupuncture. There's like a certain points that you do every day and we send you home with homework on how to do it to help turn the breach. And that works too. I always say that if the baby's meant to move, it'll move. But some women will choose that versus the, in what is it called? Aversion or inversion when mm-hmm. they go and they actually move the baby. That's kind of painful. Right. But acupuncture and moxibustion, which is another 
modality that we use. It's an herb that we burn. Um, doesn't touch you or burn you, but it, it emits heat on a certain point on the on the pinky toe can help turn the baby. On your pinky toe. Is wow. Oh my gosh. UV, UV 67, urinary bladder 67. I mean, it's kind of rando, but there's, there's research behind it. It's pretty cool. And, and we have girls all the time that are like, they'll just come to us. They're, they're 34 weeks. They found out the baby's breached. They want to turn it before 37 weeks. They'll come in like every week and, and we're doing the acupuncture. Oh my and, gosh. And it, it does. It seems to help. That's incredible. Yeah. So, but acupuncture can be used for a lot of things in pregnancy and in Asian countries. I mean, it's kind of first line of defense for anything in pregnancy, any issues that's, that's, they're going there first. They're going for acupuncture first, then maybe, you know, further for, you know, uh, any other Western medical interventions, but it's a very safe practice. But I think again, having a a practitioner that you feel really confident in. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that whether or not all of you out there ascribe to this sort of treatment, there. These things that we're talking about so far, there's no downside, right? No, no if you downside. if you put something on your pinky toe, it's not going to, there's no downside to trying it, right? You may as well try these things and try to support your pregnancy in any way you can. And of course, having the right, right nutrition and the right environment is certainly going to be nothing but helpful. The more sticky point, I think, for some people, and what I'd like to ask you a little bit about now is about herbal supplements because yeah. people do wonder about that. They worry about it. Very often the doctors don't recommend it. Everything up until now that we've been talking about are, you know, no brainers, it seems like. But the I guess when we get into herbal supplements, people have some concerns. So what do you usually say to people about herbal supplements and maybe preparing for the pregnancy or supporting the pregnancy or delivery? What are your ideas about that? I love herbs. I'm an herbalist and I love to use them. If I have a woman in prep for IVF, I would maybe, depending on the case and kind of all the other things, and like if she's on other medications, things of that nature, put her on herbs in the lead up. Once she starts medication to prep for IVF, I drop the herbs personally. That's just me. I'm like a less is more kind of gal. And then in early stage pregnancy, same thing. I'm not using Chinese herbs. There is a classic Chinese herbal formula that many practitioners feel safe about using in pregnancy, especially in that first trimester. You know, the the line of work that we're in, most women that I come across and work with have worked their tails off to get to baby. And it's been a long, arduous process. And so I am all about a less is more approach. And so that even comes with supplements too, where I'm like, you don't need this, you don't need that, you don't need that. Like I am like low level. So I do think there are herbs that are pregnancy safe and there are practitioners that feel really confident about recommending them. I don't. And even undergoing IVF procedures, I what I always say is like, sure, if like I need to help you thicken your lining or whatever, because acupuncture is good for lining and things of that nature. I'll do that in the lead up. But once you start and you're on your estradiol tablets and you're, you know, you're doing whatever, I always say, I'm like, my herbs are not going to compete with that. That's just such a stronger medication. Just go with, listen to your doctor is basically what I always say. So mm. I think you approve of that message. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. But there are things, sure, like if you get a head cold, sure, there's like some good formulas, but uh, but I also have, like I have a whole pregnancy protocol for a cold and it doesn't involve any Chinese herbs. Everything's totally safe, you know, little sprays and neti pot and things like that. So yeah, I think also just from the line of work I've been in and, and unfortunately, you know, how many things I've seen go the wrong way that we don't want to go. I am highly yes. protective of pregnancies. That's my answer there. But again, I am an herbalist and I highly respect my herbs and I do think some of them are safe. I love to come in postpartum and support with herbs because I think they really help 
clear out the uterus and help restore and regain and even help with breast milk supply, things like that. So I'm always there supporting my patients, but I tend to hold back on herbs in pregnancy. I see. So as you support them through the pregnancy, people through the pregnancy, and then you say, okay, well, maybe now at the end of the pregnancy or after delivery to help with the breast milk, are there other uses for the herbs, other reasons people might at that point choose to use them? In Chinese medicine, again, and I mean, Western medicine sees it this way too. I mean, labor and delivery is like the biggest thing your body's going to go through ever, regardless of how that baby comes out. C-section or vaginal doesn't quite matter. It's it's a big procedure and it's a big recovery and you're losing a lot of blood. And so we're all, blood is one of the vital substances in Chinese medicine. So we're all about building blood pre-conception and then post-conception. And blood to us is like the the liquid of life, if you will. And that's what helps make the breast milk too. So a lot of women will come to me, you know, and I usually am working with them all the way through the pregnancy and then postpartum we're, we're checking in my breast milk's low or my hair is falling out or I'm having hot flashes. Like a lot of that's normal stuff because your hormones are going like this, totally normal. But so we'll come in and try to support and even that out. But I'll do that a lot with diet as well mm. and a lot with certain supplements. And then, you know, it, it depends, but some women are ready to get right back in the game at that one year mark when they can. And so they want to do everything they can to prepare for that next pregnancy. So, uh-huh. uh, you know, we're thinking about that too sometimes. So it just kind of depends. But I do think, you know, and I, I say this all the time, I think food is our primary medicine. So I will always come at it first with food. And then, you know, you can't out supplement a crappy diet or a crappy lifestyle. So we're, we're going to come in first with food and then first with lifestyle. In Chinese medicine, herbs are considered food. So then I would come in there. So typically we're just supporting blood. And then sometimes, you know, if there's like lopiastasis or something, you know, something with the uterus, there's an infection postpartum, you know, those are kinds of things that we can really come in and support. Again, oh. I would always take a backseat. If there was an infection, I would never be like, yeah, let me give you some herbs. I would, no, I would send you right to your doctor and you would be treated with antibiotics or whatever you needed. Mm-hmm. There can be a lot of secondary challenges to untreated uterine infections postpartum. And so stuff Mm -hmm. like that, I'm always on the lookout for things like that and and getting my patients the right care. That sounds great. I mean, that and that's so helpful. I think more and more people are listening to things. I saw this morning somebody on, I don't know, the internet was saying how you can use like ginger and garlic and cider vinegar if you have a cold, you put these things or, you know, paprika or whatever you I do like a whole clove of garlic. You make, you make, you you smash the whole clove, pour some hot water over it, some honey, Mm. some fresh ginger, a little apple cider vinegar. It is like the cold remedy. And the neti pot, I mean, you can hear me, I'm congested. I've been fighting allergies. The neti pot is like, changes the game. It just does. I love that thing. You know, use good quality water, make sure it's filtered, a little bit of sea salt. But there's so many things that we can do from a more natural perspective. But like ginger is one of, and cinnamon, those are two of like our favorite Chinese herbs, you know? So there's just foods and like turmeric. So things like that, where I try to get, you know, you could just make a really good quality soup or bone broth and add some herbs to that versus having to take an herbal formula or do herbal supplements, right? Again, going back to like kitchen cabinet medicine or something like that, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people that feels, and certainly their doctors that might feel a little bit more comfortable for them if they have a cold during their pregnancy or there's some other issue they have to work with. Yeah. And I mean, I think there is a time and place for so many things. And I would say that too, if like, if you're working with a practitioner and they're a little pushy about taking certain things during your pregnancy, you know, to me, I'm like, eh, you know, I'm definitely like, less is more. 
but also thinking about like if you've made diet and lifestyle changes and, and maybe you've been through previous transfers and they didn't take and then now you know this one did stick with what you were doing and through that first trimester if you can you know that i think there's something shifting in the environment that's really allowing then for that pregnancy to take and that's always like a clue like whenever we're going through cases i'm always like okay what did she do with that time because that transfer worked so let's go back let's look at all the dots i want to connect everything hmm. what did she do that time and you believe it or not you find something in there you know interesting so, I'm like a detective, you know, I love it. <laughs> That's great. That's great. You know, the, the pregnancy is is the big show and it's so important no matter how you got there uh, that like your vessel does impact the growth and development of that child. And so, and that's, that's the most important piece, I think, right? We want to bring home healthy children into a healthy home and however you get there. 100%, Amy. That's fantastic. So Amy, you are chock full of information. I so appreciate it. It's amazing, all these things that you're sharing with us. It sounds like you've got so many solutions up your sleeve for all kinds of problems. I mean, I think 20 years of clinical experience gives you that more than anything else, you know, regardless of what kind of medicine I practice. I've just seen a lot. And and I really like to pay attention to, you know, and obviously it's a lot of it's anecdotal, but what works for one sometimes can work for the other and then putting those pieces together. But I just think it's so much about slowing down and a less is more approach and really tuning into like your natural environment and what you can do to support yourself. And also like in all of this conversation of like, I don't want you to start beating yourself up of like, oh my God, I'm in my second trimester and I'm not eating enough protein. It's like, you're, you're doing the best you can do. Remember that. And, and baby, baby will take what baby needs from your body. You will be the one who suffers. Baby is smart. Nature is smart. So <laughs> and it's true. I mean, there's a great book. It's called Deep Nutrition. And she talks all about that, like where it's like, it's just the mom who suffers. So I'm all about the preservation of mom, right? You know, <laughs> <laughs> so that you can be there for baby, you know, or, you know, gestational carrier are a little different. Um, I mean, I still care about them, of course, and I want them to to, to recover. But the baby's going to take what they need. In this book, Deep Nutrition, too, it's like if the baby needs calcium, they'll take it from your bones, you know. So, but you want to, if baby needs fat, they take it from your brain. So, but you want to then be able to support yourself Definitely. and recover. Mm. And also, the, the, again, nature's smart. Your body is smart. Remember, you're doing the best you can do. And, you know, you can... I think you can always heal and recover. That's great to know. Well, you're a wealth of information, Amy. I feel like I could talk to you about so many things all day, but we do have to wind down. I really appreciate all this information. I'm sure everybody out there really appreciates it. This is really eye-opening and really helpful. So thank you so much. Is there anything else that we should share with the visitors that we haven't covered? No, I think what what we'll do is I'll give you the approved Bath and Beauty product list and then the, the Pregnancy and New Mama Guide. And I think those will be, there's such great resources for you. And then you guys can dig in deeper from there. But I think those Terrific. are good places to start. And even in the Pregnancy New Mama Guide, I have recommendations for my favorite books of like diet during pregnancy, feeding baby, like all that stuff. I have so many resources in there. And I also have a whole registry in the pregnancy new mama guide where we break down like the best non-toxic paints the best non-toxic mattresses wow. paint, you know cribs all that stuff so yeah it's something I, I take really seriously and again i've been doing it for a long time so it's easy to make the resource and just have it available to everybody so i think that's that's the next thing for everybody listening that's fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Amy. We You're will welcome. definitely put that information out there. And you also have a book out that um, we can yeah. reference. And I'd love yeah. to put that on my book list so everyone sure, can you. access that. 
That way you can get more of Amy's information. She's got this wealth of information in so many areas. And I hope you check out all her resources. Where can people find you, Amy? My website is pretty easy, amyrop.com. Very active on Instagram as well and have lots of followers there and just love supporting the community there. So that's another great place to find me. And the, the handle is just my name again, Amy Ralph. And then I'm also active on TikTok. I think that's Amy Ralph Fertility. And how do you spell that for everyone? A-I-M-E-E-R-A-U-P-P. So two P's as right. in Peter Pan, as my mother would say. <laughs> Terrific. Well, thank you so much for coming today. I really appreciate having you. And for all of you out there, I hope you really take advantage of this resource. Everyone out there who's moving down this path is going to have to think about these things because they're going to be pregnant and going to have Mm -hmm. hopefully the most healthy pregnancy possible. So these are really important things to think about. And I'm really glad to have Amy here to share with us today. So please subscribe because that's how we keep going. And if you like this podcast, please let us know and certainly feel free to reach out to me at familybuilding.net anytime. I'm always happy to help.